Welcome to the Victory Family Worship Center podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thevictory.tv at gmail.com. Y'all can be seated in this place. I'm so glad all of you are here today. So glad that you chose Victory Family Worship Center to tune in. Some of you are tuning in online. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and 3 Corinthians. No, there's just two of them. <laughs> Making sure y'all paying attention. Um, I've got a message here that's kind of um, kind of been developing for the last few weeks. Um, I'll just tell you right now, full disclosure, to uh, uh, I give credit to John Brevere. A lot of the quotes I'm going to be quoting today are from his book, Killing Kryptonite. And, um, and I've been reading that book and studying, and, and God's just really been moving in my spirit. And, and I'm going to show a video here today, and I give full credit to Messenger International for that. So um, we're going to talk about repentance. And uh, how many of you know um, repentance and, and sin is running rampant through America and in and, and our culture today? Uh, over a hundred times, the word repentance or repent uh, um, is mentioned in the Bible. Some form of the word repent or some derivative of the word repent. Over a hundred times it's mentioned in the Bible. And the concept is central to our faith on the journey and follow, on our journey following Jesus Christ. But the reality is for our culture, we hardly ever use the word repent anymore. A lot of churches don't even use the word repent. We hardly, and if we you use it, we don't use it correctly. And so, and we don't know how to apply it to our lives. And so as a culture, uh, um, I know this better than anybody, we're, we're obsessed with avoiding anything uncomfortable. How many of you can testify to that? <laughs> we don't want to be uncomfortable. And anything that is remotely sorrowful or painful, um, we just want to think positive things, Pastor. We want to be happy. Think happy thoughts. Send positive vibes. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so that's that's just the that's the reason for life, just to be happy, right? Um, think happy thoughts. And the reality is, so many people in churches across America are not experiencing the life that God has purposed for them because we're unwilling to live in what the Bible calls an attitude of repentance. And so we're going to dig down into repentance today and talk about it. But before we get into repentance, let's talk about what it's not. Because this is very, very important for you to understand. And I, I, listen, I hear bad theology all the time. And so write this down if you're taking notes and circle this and highlight this. Repentance is not God wanting you to feel like a failure. And anything I say today, I don't, I'm not here to make you feel like a failure. That's not the purpose of this. That's not it at all. If that's what you hear today, um, you're not hearing correctly or I'm not communicating correctly. God does not want you to feel like a failure. You may feel like a failure, but that's not the message we're trying to communicate today. Repentance is not where you live your life in some kind of state of depression, you know, mild depression, and you always beat yourself up when you do wrong. And when you beat yourself up, you, you all of a sudden you feel somehow spiritual. You know what I mean? You whoop yourself. <laughs> it's not what we're talking about. That's not repentance at all. Um, 
I want to give you some background, some history. If you go all the way back to Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 12, you're going to see the early church, the first church birthed in, in, in our history. And uh, this is long before the churches at Corinth, long before the Corinthian church. Uh, um, um, so it, 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 we're talking about the very first church. And if you look at the early church, they were literally winning every single person to Jesus Christ. In three cities, uh, they were winning everybody to the kingdom uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, um, they, and the Bible cannot exaggerate. If you look at it, they were winning. And every, every single person in Lytle, uh, uh, Sharon, and Joppa got saved. That's what the Bible teaches. Every person in those three cities got saved when the early church was, was uh, um, when it was birthed. And everybody, the entire those three cities were turned upside down. They were invincible. The church had major influence over those three churches, over those three cities. So you fast forward a few years later and you get into the Corinthian church. The Corinthians church, history shows us, scripture shows us, shows us and I'm going to show you in a minute, that the city of Corinth, the entire city of Corinth, was not impacted by the church at all. They were not impacted by the church, and it was because the church had issues. <laughs> they, were, they, had, they were quarreling with one another. I said this morning they were a church ahead of their own time. They were quarreling with one another. There was strife within the church. Uh, um, they had favorite preachers within the church. Like, I'm not coming if this guy's talking, and if this guy's talking, I, you know, I'll be there. And, and, so, uh, um, you know, and so they were committing sin. They were committing sexual immorality within the church. Idolatry across, you know, with, within believers. The rich people were taking the best food for themselves and they were leaving uh, you know, at the feast and they were leaving the scraps for the poor people and, and they were just messed up. And so Paul has to come in. Paul planted this church. So now he's got to come in and try to fix it. And he writes to the church. He writes a letter to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. And he says this. He said, for this reason... Many of you in the church are weak. That's what he says. For this reason, many of you are weak. And so what happened to this Corinth church is they were weakened by what John Bevere calls spiritual kryptonite. How many of you know who Superman is? Anybody know who Superman is? Superman could leap tall buildings at a single bound. He was uh, at a single leap, and he was, uh, had superpowers, and, and, and he could see through x-ray vision, and he had all these, but, but kryptonite would weaken him. When he got a hold of kryptonite, he couldn't do nothing. And kryptonite, spiritual, spiritually speaking, has creeped into this church, and it's creeped into the American church, to the cultural churches that we have today. The church is being weakened. How many of you churches are, are, are flipping their cities upside down? And, and so Daniel comes in, and Daniel prophesies this in Daniel 11, verse 32. Daniel says, uh, he, was a, he, was a, he, he said, the people. How many of you know, I believe that we're the last day's church. I, I believe this is the... You know, this is the last days. I believe that. And Daniel had this, he said this about the last day church. He said, the people who know their God, the people who know, everybody say no. We're going to come back to that in a minute. The people who know their God uh, shall be strong. Everybody say strong. And they will carry out great exploits. 
Now, the last day church, they're not going to be affected by kryptonite. They're not going to be weakened. The last day church is going to carry out not just exploits, they're going to carry out great exploits. God is going to move through this last day church. God is going to move through the church that knows God. That's what the Bible says. And this is God's will for your life as an individual too, because you are the church. I don't care if you're a healthcare worker, you're a farmer, you're a truck driver, you're a you're an education person, or I don't care what your line of work is. God wants to carry out great exploits through your life into your circle of influence, so that you can turn the city upside down, so you can turn your circle upside down, and this person over here can turn their circle upside down, and the city gets turned upside down. But the key to our strength. When it comes to doing great exploits is the fact that the people know their God. The people know their God. Now, um, that word know, we all said that word know together. That word know, uh, K-N-O-W, that's a very important factor because that word comes from a Greek word, I mean, excuse me, a Hebrew word called yada. Everybody say yada, yada, yada. No, I'm just kidding, you don't have to. Yada means to, that this word yada, know, it means to know somebody deeply and intimately, much like a husband and a spouse. You, you know your spouse. It's used in Genesis 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, it said, Adam knew his wife, knew, yada. He knew her intimately. He knew Eve, and, and she conceived. You see, you, do I need to draw you a picture? Adam in Adam knew Eve and she conceived. <laughs> y'all, y'all get it? <laughs> the most intimate that, the, that two humans beings can be on the planet is described by the word yada. Know, to know somebody. And this is not a coincidence because all throughout the Scripture uh, in the New Testament and the Old Testament, God illustrates the relationship between us, the church, and, and Jesus Christ. He uses the metaphors and the pictures of a marriage. Your creator is the husband. Y'all get that? Y'all understand what I'm talking about? If you look at the New Testament, Paul said this. He said man's going to leave his, his father and his mother, and they're going to be joined, and they're going to become one. They're going to know each other in a very deep, intimately way. And the same imagery, the same pictures that Paul describes here is, is, this, is what he's describing, this relationship between Jesus Christ and his church, his church is referred to as the bride. Y'all, y'all following me, what I'm saying? Um, they are one. The church and God, they are one. They know each other in a very intimate way. And, and so I set all that up because I want to show you this video. So let's watch this video. Go ahead. That castle. Really? Isn't that phenomenal? So they taught you how to fold the napkins? Yes. Oh, wow. I actually, believe it or not, I know how to sew, fold the uh, Sydney Opera House. I don't believe you. No, no, I really do. I, I, I can totally show you. Stop. I'm very excited. Good evening. Oh, good evening. Have you um, dined, dined with us before? Yes. Actually, this is our favorite restaurant. Welcome back. Uh, no, babe, I'm pretty sure we've never been here before. No. That's weird. Really? Yeah, no, no, we haven't. Hmm. Oh. Hold that thought just one second. I'm really sorry. Oh, no problem. So what would you like to order this? Yes, sir. So you know what? I think I would like to have that salmon. That that sounds absolutely wonderful. That's one of my favorites. Oh, great. Yeah, I like that. And for you, ma'am? Oh, um, I will have the filet mignon 
and the New York strip, and the eight ounce sirloin, all medium rare, please. Yes, fantastic. That is a great choice. <laughs> Thank you. I will get those right out to you. Babe, that's, that's kind of a lot of food, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not just ordering for one, you know. Wait, are you? Are you telling me that we're... Are we expecting? Yeah, he'll be here soon. It's a boy? Oh my... Yeah, of Oh my gosh, course. babe, okay, uh, this has got to be... There he is the... now. Wait, Hi. What? Oh, bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry I'm late. <laughs> I ordered for you. Oh, thank you, you know me so well. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sorry, do you, do, do you two know each other? Do yeah, guys... he is my boyfriend from high school. Your, your boyfriend from, from high school? Can I ask you what your old boyfriend's doing? <laughs> Did I come at a bad time? No! Yeah. I really don't see the problem here, Justin. Yeah, I really don't see the problem here. Okay, who are you? Honey, stop, you're embarrassing me. I just wanted us to have one nice night at our favorite restaurant. Okay, first of all, I've never been to this restaurant. And, and second, what is going on? Hey, babe, sorry I'm late. Did I miss anything? Okay, seriously? Hey, you... All right, you, you take your hand off her, and you... What is going on? Just sit down. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> Angela, is this... Is this some kind of joke? Are you... Are you actually seeing these guys? Justin... I've known these guys longer than I've known you. Wait, what? Are you seriously jealous right now? Jealous? Angela, in case you forgot, we're married. Okay, and we spend the majority of our time together. I'm, I love you more than any of my other boyfriends. That's why you'll always be my favorite. Your, your favorite? Is, is there anyone else I need to know about? Babe, is there a problem over here? Okay, really, the waiter? No, Dennis, we're fine. All right, seriously, no. Good, food will be right now. Oh, okay, Angela, Angela, all right. These guys need to go, and we need to talk. We're done. I cannot believe this. You are being so selfish. Selfish? Why do you always have to make everything about you? You ruined our favorite restaurant. Excuse me, sorry. Yeah, I've still never been to this restaurant. Thank you, thank you, Dennis. The salmon is delightful. So, did you propose to her here too? Now that's a little bit out there, I get it, but um, let me ask you a question. How many of you would want to marry somebody like that, somebody like Angela? Raise your hands, come on, let me see, let me see. None of you? Why not? Why not? What's the deal? I mean, uh, she spends all of her, mo well, the majority of her time with that one first guy. She loves him more than any other of the other ones. Why wouldn't you want to marry somebody like this? I mean, he's her favorite, right? 
Come on, you guys are kind of hard. The reason why you wouldn't want to be married to somebody like that is because her heart's still divided. Her heart's divided. And so that's why you wouldn't raise your hands. You would never marry someone like that. Uh, And so what makes you think Jesus is coming for a bride whose heart's divided? What makes you think Jesus is coming back for a bride who, 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 who is sleeping around with all these other guys? Honestly, if you think Jesus is coming back for a bride like that, like Angela, you're as deceived as Angela is. Jesus is coming back for a bride that has given herself to him the way Jesus gave himself for her, and he was willing to die for her. That's the bride of Christ. That is the church. That is who you are. That is who we all are. Uh, And so the same way the bride stands on an altar and gives herself to her husband and says goodbye to 3.5 billion other men uh, and, and gives her entire heart to that man, that is the same way, that is the same bride that Jesus is coming for. A bride that gives their whole heart to Jesus Christ. And so Paul finally has to say to this church in Corinth, he finally has to say, Paul loves this church. This is his, one of his first church plants. And Paul says, many of you are weak. Within the church, you're weak because you've, you've not given up your old sins. You've not given up your old boyfriends. You have not repented. Everybody say Repented. And so, this is, I mean, I can already feel the heaviness ever since that video went off. Uh, um, so we're going to talk about this. You, you, Paul is saying, you haven't repented of your impurities. You haven't repented your sexual immorality and your eagerness for lustful pleasures. You have not given any of that up. You're still having dinner with those kind of things. You're still sitting around the dinner table. You're still entertaining those things. So the whole problem is that the church At Corinth, they had not repented, and so therefore they were weak, and they were not flipping their cities upside down. People were not getting saved because their church was infected with spiritual kryptonite, and they had become weak. And now we got a problem. And the problem is, all the way to today, today in American churches, American churches, generally speaking, they have not repented. And I know when, when we say the word repented, I, I listen, I know people don't want to be uncomfortable. I said that already. And people recoil at the word repented because, and people begin to shut down because there's a lot of, there have been in the history and, and in our past, a lot of mean-spirited, legalistic preachers that have abused people with the word repent. And I get that. I, I understand that. But I'm here today to tell you, church, that, the, that repentance is a gift from God. Repentance is a life-giving thing that we have received from God. It's the most empowering, life-giving, and beautiful words in the whole New Testament besides the name of Jesus. Repentance is a gift. And it's life-giving. And so we're going to talk about the pink elephant in the room. God has called us as a church, as people, to repentance. Because he's coming after a bride that has given their whole hearts to him. 
And, and so how many of you know that God does not give his children binding and constricting gifts? That's what it says in the Bible. God never gives his children gifts. And repentance is a gift that he has given to the church. He has given us a, a way to turn our hearts towards him. Um, this Greek word, that repentance, repentance comes from this Greek word called, I have a problem with this, metanoia, metanoia. The word and pronunciation is not important, but the meaning is very important. Um, it's found over 50 times in the New Testament. It's a, the simple definition, the cut clear definition is a changed mind. It's a changed mind. But how many of you know, I can change my mind about something, but not be fully persuaded about something. That happens all the time. You can get up every morning and change your mind about something and flip-flop back and forth, but you're not fully persuaded. So the Baker Encyclopedia of Greek New Testament words goes and takes it a little bit deeper. We have to go deeper with this word, metanoiene. And re this is the, the definition. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Repentance is a change in the whole personality, not just a changed mind. Repentance is a change of mind, but it goes deeper. It goes to the will of who you are. It goes into, into your emotions. It penetrates your heart. It's a change in the whole personality from a sinful course of action to God. When I repent, I am fully persuaded from the core of my being about something. I'm fully persuaded to the core of my being that this is wrong and I'm turning and I'm repenting and I'm going the other direction. Jesus made this statement in Matthew 15, 19. He said, from the heart, from the heart, everybody tap yourself on the heart. From the heart come evil thoughts like murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and lying and, and the list goes on. If repentance was just a change of mind, Jesus would have said, from the mind come all these things, but he didn't. He said, from the heart come all these things. So you can change your mind and not change your actions and not change your course. We're going to talk about that. We're going to get into this deeper. The big question is, is what's the difference between a repented and unrepented person? Let's look at what the Bible has to say. In the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, these people are jacked up. They're just messed up. Paul taught them the truth. He, he taught them that, that preaching was all about Jesus crucified and resurrect, re, resurrected and making him known throughout the whole world. That's what Paul taught these people. And somewhere along the way, they got jacked up. I don't know what happened. They just got jacked up. They started sleeping with each other within the church. Um, the Bible says they were teaching really bad theology. They drifted so far away from where Paul had started this church. Uh, they had just wandered off. And Paul says this. Even though they had wandered off and they were all jacked up, Paul comes back and says, yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to your repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. So guess what? Guess what, everybody? God intends for you to experience sorrow. Because sorrow does a work in your life. And we're going to talk about this more. It's going to unfold. It's going to become clear. So for, for Paul said, For you became sorrowful as God intended, so you were not harmed in any way by us. Now Paul says this. Godly sorrow, godly sorrow, what does it do? 
What does godly sorrow do? Godly sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation. That seems like a good thing, right? Y'all nod your heads or something, so I know you got a pulse. Everybody's kind of quiet and petrified right now. (laughs) Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which brings salvation with no regrets. But then he goes on to say there's another kind of sorrow. There's another kind of sorrow. Worldly sorrow, worldly sorrow brings what? What does the Bible say? It brings death. It brings death. So which one do you experience? Which one do you experience? Because apparently there's two. There's godly sorrow, which is something that's a good thing. This is something that we should all desire in our lives. It produces something from God inside of us. It produces us. It moves us. And then Paul says that there's this other thing called worldly sorrow, and that destroys us from the inside out. And so I think we better pay close attention to the the differences between these two because the fruit, although sorrow could be the same on the surface level, the fruit of these two sorrows are completely different, radically different. And my fear is that too many people live with worldly sorrow. Too many people in the churches live with worldly sorrow. And what is worldly sorrow? Worldly sorrow is how you view your sin from your perspective. How I view my sin from my perspective. More specifically, you, you view the consequences of your sin as an annoyance. I feel bad I've done this. Is that clear? <laughs> I feel bad I did this. Or, you know, I feel bad that I portrayed that betrayed this person. You know, I'm sorry I cheated on my wife. Uh, you know, I'm sorry that I, 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 I fudged on my taxes, which is stealing. And, you know, I'm sorry that I uh, committed idolatry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry I got caught. And you know what, God? I've prayed these prayers a million times. God, take this away from me because I don't want to struggle with this no more. God, take this away from me. I don't want to struggle with this no more. I'm sorry I got caught. God, just take this away from me. God, I'll never do this again. I don't know how many promises I made while I'm throwing my guts up. God, I'll never do this again. Take this away from me. I don't want to struggle with lying. I don't want to struggle with this. Take this away from me. I don't want to struggle with greed. I just want I don't want to struggle with materialism. God, just take all this away from me. And when God doesn't take it away from you, we get a little bitter at God. Because we're annoyed and inconvenienced by the consequences of those sins. Well, I guess I just got to live with this because God didn't take it away from me. That was my attitude. I guess I just got to live. I guess this is just the way I'm going to be because God didn't take this away from me. Worldly sorrow. And so I just lived with it and I just had death on the inside. And I wasn't living and walking in God's fruit because worldly sorrow produces death. But then there's, a, then there's godly sorrow. And let's look at this. Godly sorrow is, oh my Lord, I've, I, I, what have I done to my Lord and Savior? What have I done to God? What have I done to embarrass my relationship with Jesus Christ? What have I done? And you allow God to change your mind. We're going to talk about this more, but you allow God to change your mind about your rebellion and about your sin and about whatever it is. 
your self-serving lifestyle, God changes, your godly sorrow comes in and you begin to change your mind and then all of a sudden you begin to change in direction and a change in your life. Godly sorrow is when you view your sin, not from your inconvenience and your annoyance with his struggle, but you view your sin uh, through the eyes of God himself and you realize that you've broken the heart of God and you realize because of that sin, there is a veil between me and God. The intimacy's been cut off and you realize that and you cry out to God and say, God, I gotta have you in my life. Please don't take this away from me. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And so whatever, so when you ask, somebody asks me what's the difference between a person that's repented and not repented, the unrepented person says, I choose what's good for my life. I choose what's best for my life. The repented person says, I choose what God says is good and right about my life, no matter what is acceptable in culture and society. I choose what God says because God is my maker. God knows what breaks me. God knows what fixes me. And God knows how to put me together. Now, obviously, that video is a, is a spoof video. I hope you get that. <laughs> It was intentionally made that way, but no, no, but listen, you gotta, you gotta think about this video. Nobody in this woman's life, her family, her friends, her bridesmaids, uh, the best men, nobody in this woman's life, uh, or her teachers, nobody once ever told her, hey, you know what? If you wanna be in a covenant marriage with somebody, you have to break up with all your bull boyfriends. Nobody ever told her that. Hey, if you want to be in a covenant marriage and you want to give your heart solely and totally to this guy, you got to you got to turn loose of all your old baggage. You got to turn loose of all those. Uh, you got to give your heart solely to this guy. When you stand at a marriage altar, you give your heart to this man and that man only. Nobody ever told her that. She didn't know any better. She was choosing what was good and right for her life. She didn't know she had to break it off with her past. Nobody ever said anything about repenting. Nobody ever said, hey, you know what, about this repenting, you gotta nobody ever told her that she needed to change her whole personality from a sinful action, a sinful course action, and she didn't know any better. And 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 the thing that's pretty amazing about this word metanoia, metanoia, repentance. The amazing thing about that word is if anybody's been in the military, that is a military term, metanoia. That's a military term. When you're marching in formation and the sergeant uh, you know, or somebody, uh, your commanding officer says something and you're, you're marching and you, they say about face or however, whatever terminology they use, that, that, that turn 180 degrees, you're walking in one direction and they say something and you turn and go, that word, that they, that's metanoia. Metanoia is that word. Stop, turn 180 degrees, and walk in the other direction. And you know what, folks? This is really important. When you stop and you turn and you go in the other direction, you never look back. You never look back. Repentance is a changed mind and a changed personality that leads to a changed behavior. Metanoia, he's walking in one direction. Metanoia, he turns and stops and he walks in the other direction and, and, and he never looks back. It's a change mind and then a change direction. Just like the lady in the video. She, 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 you know, she, the lady never changed her personality. She might have changed her mind. She changed her mind like four or five times. But she never changed her personality and she stayed on the sinful course of action because she was never informed.
That's kind of like a lot of churches today. They're never, a lot of people sitting in churches are never informed. They were never informed uh, you know, about repentance. Nobody ever talks about repentance because it makes people uncomfortable and it doesn't fill church pews. It doesn't, fill, it doesn't grow churches when you talk about repentance because people start getting a little uncomfortable when you talk about their old past and their old ways of life that you need to repent from those things. People get a little uncomfortable. And, and we've got so uncomfortable in the churches, we've got so comfortable by sitting in churches, excuse me, that now we, as preachers and pastors, we have to sit here and sell Jesus. Jesus for 35 minutes instead of just saying repent and turn to God and be forgiven for your sins <laughs> you know what I mean if we did that nobody would come to church <laughs> so we preach the goodness of God everybody uh, you know we've got to preach the goodness of God listen I'm not dismissing none of that you got to preach because the goodness of God leads men and women to repentance but this is kind of like preaching it. It's like a, we, we, there's, a, there's a salesman technique that's been developed. And, and, and so when you know, they'll ask people, are you away from God? And, and do you need a relationship with your Lord and Savior and your Creator? Do you want to be in the family of God? Uh, you know, come into, you don't want Jesus to come into your heart and receive Him as your Lord and Savior and forgive you of all our sins. And we say that and we say this prayer, but never do we talk about repentance. And then we say, uh, you know, we say, now you're a child of God. But nobody ever repented. We never talk about repentance. And so if we don't preach repentance, church, if we don't preach repentance, if we don't stand up and do like Peter did and say, repent of your sins and turn to God and, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you know what we do in churches? You know what we're doing in churches? We're creating a bunch of angelas. Just like in the video. That don't know any better. And we're hanging around our past, we're sleeping with our past, we're jumping from bed to bed with our past and our past sins and our past skeletons, and we still got those things in our life. We've never turned away from those things. We've never done an about face from our past. And that's not the way Jesus ministered. That is not the way Jesus ministered. If you look at the first words out of Jesus' mouth in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus said this. He said, Jesus, it's, the Bible says, he, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was the first words out of his mouth. Now look at, look at it carefully. He says, repent of your sins and turn to God. Do you know what Jesus is saying right there? Do you all know what he's saying? He's saying that the only way that you can turn to God is to repent of your sins. You don't turn to God and then repent of your sins. He said it in order for a reason. Repent and turn to God. Matthew eleven twenty. Jesus began to, listen, this is just weighs heavy on me because Jesus went through all these towns and he did miracles and people got healed and he did this and that. And then in Matthew eleven twenty, 20, it says Jesus began to denounce those towns where he had done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. I don't know about you, but I want our community to turn upside down. I want everybody to get saved. I want this church to be powerful. And if you look at Luke 13, 3, you will perish too unless you what? Unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. 
Okay, let's take Jesus out of the equation. Let's look at the disciples. Jesus was training them to fulfill the mission and go out and, and preach the gospel. And, and, and so what are the first words out of the, out of the mouths of the disciples? Mark 6, 12. So the disciples went out, it says, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. Hey, let me give you this one. What about the guy in hell that we talked about last week? Remember him? He, he got into hell, and all of a sudden, he became a preacher. <laughs> we talked about this last week, Luke 16, 28, 30, if you want to look at what it says. Uh, um, the rich man said, Father, please, Abraham, please, Father Abraham, at, at least send him to my father's home. You've got to remember, the rich man's in hell. He's in, he's in Abram's boot. Uh, he's, in, he's in what they call purgatory. I talked about this last week. And he said, he said for at least send them to my father's home. Because I have five brothers, and I don't want them to end up in this place of torment that I'm in. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. Verse 30, the rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, if someone is sent to them from the dead, they will repent of their sins and turn to God. See, he's a preacher now. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone raises from the dead. What about the day of Pentecost? Let's just get into this. Let's keep going. Uh, Peter's dealing with thousands of people, and they all want to get saved. They all want to get saved. You don't even have to convince them they want to get saved. They just said, tell us how to be saved. Peter says to the people that want to get saved in Acts 2.38, he says, each of you must. Everybody say must. Must. Each of you must. So this is not a recommendation. It's not a suggestion today. It's not a, 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 it's not a cool word. It's not a click word. Each of you must, Peter says, you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Are you guys starting to see a pattern here? Are y'all, is this making sense? Okay, Acts 26, 19. Um, I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all of Judea, and also to the Gentiles. You guys know what the Gentiles are, right? The Gentiles is us, okay? So you can fast forward the Bible. When it says Gentiles, it's talking to anybody that's not Jew. That's us. And, and it said, I preached to these people in Jerusalem and Judea, and I preached to the Gentiles that they all what? Must must repent of their sins and turn to God. And prove, watch this, this will get you, and they, after they've repented of their sins and they've turned to God, they need to prove that they've changed by the good things they do. Remember, I told you works doesn't save you, but you're saved for works. I told you that last week. So once you get saved, you got to, the Bible's saying you, you need to prove that you're saved. Prove, let's see some fruit. Get to work, get busy, start building, start populating the kingdom of heaven. Roll your sleeves up and prove by the good things they do. How about God himself? Let's just go right to God. You can look at it in Acts 17.30. God himself said this. God overlooked the people's ignorance Woo, aren't you glad for that? <laughs> God look, overlooked the people's ignorance about these things in the early times. The Bible is so clear, folks. It is so clear. 
But now God commands everyone everywhere, the Bible says, to repent of their sins and turn to him. Notice God isn't making any suggestions. Again, he's not making, there's no suggestions here. There's no, there's no uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe do this, maybe might do this. If you feel like doing this, there's none of that. God commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sin and turn to him. You want to be strong in the Lord? You want to do great exploits for the Lord? You want to see God move through your life? You want to see God move? Know God. Return, repent, and turn to God and know your God. That's how we become strong. There's no, listen, The biblical truth that we're seeing all through those scriptures that I gave to you right there is there's no genuine faith in Jesus Christ without repentance. I told you that. I've been telling you that for two weeks. There's no genuine faith in Jesus Christ without repentance. Let me tell you, I'm going to talk to you about this. If there's no repentance, it's counterfeit faith. Do you all understand that? I lived on counterfeit faith for a lot of years. I wasn't saved. I was living like hell for 18 years. Although when I was a young Christian, I I stood up and I gave my heart to Jesus, uh, or so I thought I did, but I had worldly sorrow. I was just sorry because I felt bad. I was sorry because I had a hangover. I even got baptized. And I'm not saying God didn't come in my life there, but I had worldly sorrow. I was full of worldly sorrow, and I, I, I lived like hell for the rest for 18 more years, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. There was no repentance. There was no sorrow in my life. There was none of that. They just said, hey, say this prayer with me, and I, I was all right. Never changed my mind about what I was doing. I didn't even change my mind. Do you all see what I'm saying? <laughs> I just felt guilty. The writer gives us in Hebrews chapter 6, if you look, the, the writer of Hebrews gives six foundational truths to the church, and the number one foundation is repentance from dead works. And the second foundation is faith in God. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, you truly don't have faith in God unless you repent of your sins. And so what was the, so, you know, you have to think about the heart posture of somebody that's truly repentant. The heart posture of somebody that's truly repentant is I will no longer be the judge of what is best for me from this moment forward. I will let God be the judge of what and, and, and be the dictator of my life about what's best for my life. I've made a decision, I've repented, and from this moment forward, I will embrace what God says, be, says is best for me, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't get it. Let me give you an example. Let's just get real. Can we get real for a minute? He said, you're already being real, Pastor. Uh, let, me give you, let me be real real, because I'm going to be real blunt right here. Let me give you an example. So let's just go back to the day of Pentecost, and let's just imagine we're there. And, and you've got this couple on the day of Pentecost, and they're living together. Not married, they're living together, right? Okay? We see that in our culture a lot. And, and they're having sex, but they're not married. Okay? Let's just tell it like it is. Let's not beat around the bushes. And so they come to one of, uh, one of the meetings on Sunday morning, and they repent. And, and, and they repent, and, and, you know, God does a work in their life. But they keep on going, living together and having sex, and they're not married. So a few weeks later, they go, they go they, Peter stands up, and he quotes uh, 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 Hebrews 12, 3, that says something to the effect that, hey, hey, mar- the marriage bed should be undefiled, uh, uh, idolaters, and those who have sex before marriage, God's will, God will judge. And so they hear this, 
The truth will bring transformation. And so they hear this and they, they look at each other and they go, wow, what do we do now? What do we do? This ain't right. We repented. Now God knows what's best so we can make a decision. Do we go on and think of, and, and, and do what's best, what we think's best for our lives, or do we do what God thinks best for our lives? God knows what's best for us, so either we get married or we move out. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a radical change. There's a radical, radical decision, and something changed. They had a change of mind. The revelation, truth came. They got their mind got wakened to this truth, and all of a sudden, there's a radical. Their mind changed. Now there's a radical change in direction that changes the tra- trajectory of their life. Paul finally says to the church, he finally writes to the church in Corinth and says, we talked, and we talked about this last week, and if you missed these messages, you need to go back and hear them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9, and 10. He's, Paul says, do you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? We talked about this, about the, 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 the gate to hell being broad and easy and the easy path and everybody's doing it and go with the flow and, and, and the, the gate into the kingdom being narrow and hard because you got to make tough decisions and you got to you got to go against the flow and you got to go against what your friends think and you got to go against all that it's a tough decision but he says those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of god and then he says in, in first corinthians 6 he says don't fool yourselves everybody say don't fool yourselves see it's one thing to fool the fool the person sitting next to you it's one thing for you to fool your mom and dad it's one thing for you to fool the pastor but it's another whole it's a whole nother level for you to fool yourself and paul warns him says don't fool yourself deception will run rampant that's going to be that's one of the number one indicator to the last days that's in luke 21 8 deception's going to run rampant People decept- deceived by what's right and what's wrong. That's why we're having these conversations, these tough conversations. Jesus goes on to say, don't fool yourself. Paul said this, Jesus said this through Paul. He said, don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin, commit adultery, are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality. I didn't make this up, okay? Please don't hear me saying this is in the Bible. Read your Bible. Those who practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these people inherit the kingdom of God. And so let's just clear the air. Everybody look up at me. I'm the first one on that list, okay? I've done these things. So nobody's throwing stones here, okay? I've done these things. That's why I can stand up here with, in freedom and preach this to you because I've lived in this stuff. I've done these things. Um, let me give you some examples. Let me just tell you about my life if you don't know. Um, uh, at a very young age, when I say young age, I'm talking 12, 13 years old, I was introduced to drinking and drugs and a lot of stuff. And, and um, within months right in there, I was addicted to the stuff. Uh, um, it was fun. I like this stuff. Adrenaline rushes. You know what I mean? This is good stuff, and it's popularity. And, and, uh, and, and by the time I got into high school, I was eaten up with sin. I was eaten up with sin. And I was addicted to alcohol, and, and, and sexual immorality was taking over my mind and my thoughts. And, and I'm just bound in all kinds of sin. 
And, and, and that, this happened through high school and then into college. It just gets worse and worse and worse. It, you know, then pretty soon you get a job, and now you can afford to uh, you know, financially support your sins. And then I got into college, and all this is going on. This is, this is a 16, 18-year span, okay? I'm taking you through this nutshell version, but shortly after I got married, you know, and, and I carried this right into the marriage, and still eating up with sin. And it's not shortly after we got married, I, I went to one of these meetings with my wife, and I got saved in a little old Pentecostal church in Plainview, Texas. And, and that night, I had a lot of godly sorrow. And I truly repented of a lot of things. And, and I, I repented, and, and God, I just, that night, I, you know, we can go back and discuss whether I was saved or not back when I was a child, but that night I, is what I call the day I was born again. You understand what I'm saying? I truly had some godly sorrow, and I repented. And um, a lot of things left my life that night. Cussing was one of them. Because I couldn't formulate a sentence without a four-letter word in it. You know what I mean? Cussing, just cussing, cussing, cussing. You know, lying about things, stealing things, cheating things. You know, and you say, stealing? You were a thief? I mean, just if you fudge on your taxes a little bit. (laughs) Hey, you know, and greed and, you know, taking, oh, I want this, this is for me, you know. A lot of that stuff had a hold of my life, and it, it, and it left my life when I was born again. But the alcohol addiction and the, the tobacco and stuff like that, it didn't leave. It didn't leave. I got up. I was still addicted. I was still strongly addicted. Alcohol and tobacco. So fast forward a year or so. And, and I was still struggling with these addictions, bad. Um, you know, can't live without it. Got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. It moody, moody makes you moody. Uh, uh, and so in 1996, I had the opportunity to go to the Pensacola Revival. If you don't know what that is, uh, um, the Pensacola Revival started in 1995. It's one of the greatest moves of God we've ever seen uh, in our times, in our, you understand what I'm saying? And And, and it's, um, I had the opportunity, I, you know, and I'm skeptic. I, I'm a young dude. I, I'm like, I'm going to go see this. this. This is all fake. This is all a bunch of garbage. I'm going to go see. God messed up my life at that place. I mean, God got a hold of my life. And, and, and I, for five years, that thing went on for five years, and in five years, f- over four million people went through those church doors, and over a quarter of a million people got found salvation in through those doors. And over 10 to 20%, I think it is, are serving in the ministry. They all went on to college, and they're all serving in ministry. There was a lot of things birthed out of that revival. And, and anyway, we went, we went on two occasions. On the first occasion, I went, and, and I responded to one of the altar calls. And, and, and I'm, talking, I'm talking when I, these altar calls every single night. Uh, the evangelist Steve Hill, he came on... Uh, the morning Father's Day in 1995, and he preached. And after that day, he preached for six nights a week for five solid years. Go look it up uh, and go see what happened. And so on this particular night, so Steve Hill's one of my heroes of the faith. I love him. I followed him. I followed him all. I still follow his wife. He's dead now. He had some health issues, and, and he's passed on. But he fought the good fight. And, and, uh, and so I'm, I responded, and I'm going to get prayed for by this great evangelist. I mean, this guy, this guy had revivals in Argentina. He's been in some of the biggest movements of God uh, around. The, the, the Spirit of God was just, I mean, all over him. And, and so he comes to 
me, and man, this is it. This is it. Man, he's going to pray for me. This, I, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I came for. And, and, and he doesn't stay anything. He gets to me, and he doesn't say anything. I kind of tell him about my addiction because he wants to know what he wants to pray for and things like that. And, and so, he, man, he grabs me by the head like this, and he prays this most powerful, anointed prayer, man. And I'm just like, I'm crying and all these things, and I just he prayed for deliverance, and, and you guys want to know what happened after that prayer? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I went back. We went back to Plainview, Texas. Nothing happened. I'm still addicted. A lot of you have lived here. Some pastor prays for you, and you're still bound. You're still struggling. I was there. I'm still struggling with this. Why am I still struggling? It's a few years, a few months later, after that incident, I'm back at my church because we're praying. You know, there's a few of us we're praying. We want to see the move of God in our town, in our home church. We want to see this, and so we started. We decided we're going to pray every day. We're going to seek the face of God, and, and and you know, we. So I go on my lunch hour every day for I don't know how long. I'd go on my lunch hour, twelve to one, and I'd pray, and I'd go to the church and just pray. And there's soft music playing, lights are down, and I'm just on my face praying and praying and praying. And and um, it's interesting to note that the Brownsville revival, when it started in June 18th, 1995, it started because the church repented. I need to say that, and I'm talking uh, how uh, so there were so many people you can't even count them. They all came forward and they got on their face and they repented. The church repented. And that's when it kicked it off. There was a spirit of God that moved in that place. It was a flood. It was a river of life flowing through Brownsville, Texas. They changed the neighborhoods. Their neighborhoods changed. The whole environment, the whole city changed because of that revival. That's what I'm talking about. And so we're back at our church. We're praying. We want to see this in our town. And, and I'm just praying, man. I'm on my face praying. I'm on my face repenting. And all of a sudden, I feel God's presence in this little old church with about three of us in this building, and it's dark, and there's music playing, and I feel God's presence. And I was praying on my lunch hour in my work uniform, and I was on my face repenting for a solid hour. And when I got up, I felt the Lord say to me, you're free. And on that day, listen, I, on that day, I was truly and completely set free from those addictions and from those, those things that, it had, that I was struggling with. 18 years, 16, 18 years of that junk, and I was set free. And all I can tell you is I've been bound, and I am free, and free is much better. <laughs> Amen? God still does that. But he, he, listen to me. Hear me out. Here's my question. Here's my question. Why wasn't I set free a few months before in Brownsville, Texas, when this great evangelist prayed for me. Why wasn't, why didn't that happen? Why, why you know, this is a great, this, Steve Hill has a great testimony about being in a heroin, heroin addict and ministering to the gangs of New York and, and, and being free from all this. I mean, he, he just got a great testimony. And, and if anybody was, had, was anointed to pray for me to be set free, it was Steve Hill. Why not then? Why was, you know, why was it a month later at my home church when I was down on my face with nobody around and the lights, though, and just all by myself? Why? Well, I, I didn't realize this till years later. I didn't get like, I, it took me years later to figure this out. But before the revival, everything was about me. 
God, can you do this for me? God, take this away from me. God, do this for me. God, what's in it for me? God, do this for me. God, I struggle with this. Take this away. You know, uh, you know and, and everything was just about me. My prayers were me-focused. But after coming home from the revival, I didn't know this till years later, uh, I'm at the church every day and I'm on my face praying. I, my prayers are more like, God, I want more of you. God, I want to be closer to you. God, I want to be more intimate with you. God, I want, God, whatever breaks your heart, I want you to break my heart. God, whatever, whatever you hate, I want to hate. God, I want, I want to be more intimate to you. I want to love you as deeply as I can. Those were my prayers in those days after this revival. I want to hate what you hate, Lord. And I was praying praying those prayers and, and God's presence would move in and I didn't even realize it and I would cry in those moments and I would be broken and I would be spilled out and I would just pour out this junk. I would cry those altars and let that junk come out and, and, and I would say, I'm sorry God for breaking and doing these things and breaking your heart. God, I'm sorry for allowing this junk to come in my life. I know it doesn't please you and I would just pour it out. So what happened? What does that have to do with getting free from addictions and stuff like that? It's the same thing that Paul told the church at Corinth. Godly sorrow produces repentance. Repentance leads to a changed mind. And that leads to changed behavior and changed directions. Again, we have two sorrows in the Bible. Godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. The difference was back before the revival and back all that, oh God, I'm sorry for this, take this away from me, worldly sorrow. Still living in my con, still living in my sin, still living in all that junk. Afterwards, it's godly sorrow. Listen, they're both genuine sorrows. Both sorrows confess sin. Godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, they both confess sin. But listen, Judah sinned, and he, he was caught by the priests, and he said, went to the priests and said, I've sinned, but he's in hell. So let's talk practically. What does this need to look like in your life? Because I want you to be free. I'm not here, I, I know there's a heaviness in this church right now, I can feel it. There's a heaviness, but I want you to be free from this stuff. What does change need to look like for you? Because every single one of you I know has at least one thing, maybe some of you have 50 things, that you're still holding on to. It's still the past. You're still dating it. You're still entertaining it. You're still practicing that. You're still, you're still doing whatever. You're still holding on to that. It's like having dinner with two or three people. So what needs to change? What, 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 you know, how, 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 do you, how does this apply to you? So let's just talk practically. Maybe for you, you're struggling with your thought life. Maybe you, after the family goes to bed, uh, you get the TV and you find yourself watching things on TV that you shouldn't watch. And so repentance is about face. I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, God's called you here to this today to set you free from this, but tomorrow you're going to call the cable company and you're going to cancel the service and you're going to put up your rabbit ears with aluminum foil, and that's how you're going to do it. And, and you're going that's a radical response. That is an about face, change directions. I'm not doing that no more. I'm not entertaining that no more. 
Maybe for you it's, you know, your relationships. You're in a relationship and, and it's enabling you and it's causing you to make choices that breaks the heart of God. And, and you, know what a, you know what your about face is? You know, you're going to repent and you're going to say, I'm sorry, God, but your about face is, you know what, I'm going to call that person and say, hey, it's over between us and you're going to date God for a year. How about that? Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. It's a radical, immediate obedience to a changed mind and a changed heart. That's what happened to me. That's, I'm, I can't tell you any more than what happened to me and how I walked this out. For some of you, you need to maybe call the doctor. You're addicted to pain medications or something. And you need to say, hey, you need to cancel this prescription. I need to get free from this stuff. And I, you know, It's an about face. For some of you, you just need to confess some sin. You just need to say, you know what? I need a change in direction. God, I'm sorry for breaking your heart. I know this doesn't please you, and I am turning the other direction. I'm not going to allow this to come into my life today. You become fully persuaded. You become fully persuaded that this is wrong, and, and, or either that. If you're not fully persuaded, you're going to be like the masses in America today, just living with worldly sorrow and managing the struggle and dying on the inside. Because worldly sorrow, we've already told you in the scripture, it brings death. And so look at what King David did. Let's look at King David so you guys can lighten up a little bit. He committed adultery. Add a little frosting on that. <laughs> he went and uh, uh, murdered, David went and murdered the woman's husband to cover up the adultery. That's a Nice, unthinkable prophet, isn't it? So Nathan comes to him and calls David out, basically. And David says, dear Lord, I have sinned against God. I have sinned. I have broken the heart of God. And he falls on his face. And if you, you know, listen, when he fell on his face, he's the king. He doesn't give a rip about what people think. He doesn't give a rip about what his co-workers think. He doesn't give a rip about all the people around him and the townspeople. He doesn't care what they think. He falls on his face. And furthermore, the Bible said he got on his face for seven days. For seven days, God against you, I have sinned against you. I have done this wickedness. I have broken your heart. I have done these things. And his focus was godly sorrow. His focus was on God. Godly sorrow focuses on God. Worldly sorrow focuses on you. Godly sorrow, uh, you know, worldly sorrow focuses on the consequences of sin. You know, I'm sorry. Am I going to lose my relationship? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose my marriage because I did this? Am I going to lose my ministry? Am I going to go to hell forever? That, that's what godly, worldly sorrow focuses on those consequences. Godly sorrow focuses on God. I've broken the heart of God. I, I have embarrassed our relation, my relationship with God. Paul said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, commit adultery, or committed adultery, or male prostitutes, or practice homosexually, watch this. Everybody say practice. Practice. Or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, cheap, or people who cheat people, none of these. He said, don't fool yourselves. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? Now, 
Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 7, and we've talked about it in the previous week, 7, 22, and 23. Jesus tells that on Judgment Day, there's going to be a multitude of people. I believe there's going to be a multitude of people in America that call themselves Christians, and they're going to go before the Lord, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord! They're not going to come and they're going to say, they're not going to call Buddha Lord at this time. They're not going to call Muhammad Lord. And they're not going to call uh, the Republican or Democratic platform Lord. They're going to say, Jesus, my Lord, my Lord. Every person's going to call that that. And they're going to say, we preached your gospel. We, sh- we went to church. Our church cast out demons. Our cur- church prayed. We were a praying church. We sang wonderful songs. And, and we did works in your name. And Jesus is going to come and say, you know what? I declared to them, I never knew you depart from me because you practice lawlessness. You practice lawlessness. Everybody say practice again. Now say lawlessness. You who practice lawlessness. Now this is going to free some of you up right here. Because lawlessness is from the Greek word anomia, which simply means you're not submitted to the authority of God's word. You're not submitted to the authority of God's word. Lawlessness. So, And then there's the word practice. Okay? So Jesus is not talking about the people that are working on their walk with God and they're, they're struggling, and, but man, they're trying to get free and they're trying to walk this thing out. Oh, many of you are living there, man. You're trying to walk this thing out. You're trying to do the right things. You're asking God for forgiveness. You know, you're not, listen, Jesus is talking about the people that practice this. You know what practice means? It means you're trying to get good at it right? You practice lawlessness. That means you're trying to get good out of it. A lot of you are not practicing. So set yourself free today. If you're not practicing lawlessness, he's not talking to you. He's saying, the per- this is the person that says, well, you know, my wife's not really needing my, meads, my needs, and so, you know, and this girl at work, oh, she really makes me feel like a man, you know, and she really, man, she really likes me, and she strengthens me, and she builds me up. I'm so thankful for this woman, and, and man, I'm thankful that we've got a great church, too. I can't wait to go to church on Sunday, you know, I can't wait for the church this weekend. <laughs> practicing practicing or the person that's in living in sexual immorality and every weekend they're out practicing sexual immorality sleeping with a different person from month to month and 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 they're practicing everybody's doing it why are you judging me i can feel those words burning right now on me why are you judging me i go to church every sunday that's the person who's practicing disobedience, practicing it, practicing lawlessness to the authority of God's word. Every one of them called Jesus their Lord. Every one of them believed they were going to, mute, going to heaven forever. That's what Paul's trying to tell the church. He said, don't fool yourselves. Don't fool yourselves. If you guys want to come, I'm going to close this thing down. But here's, here's, a, here's a riveting statement in Matthew 13, 15. Jesus made this statement, and, and I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but he said, they have closed their ears, they have shut their hearts, and they have hardened their hearts. Now listen to me very carefully. Look up at me, everybody. A lot of you are feeling uncomfortable right now. And I'm going to explain to you why. It's simply because the Holy Spirit's in this place and has opened your eyes and has opened your ears and has opened your heart. 
and, 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 and like it, when you cut yourself and you cut yourself and you pour a little alcohol on it to clean it out, it burns, doesn't it? But then it gets well. And that's probably what's happening to a lot of you today. This old scab, it, we're putting some, putting a little, little something, something in there to clean some stuff out. And it feels good later. And that's what's happening today. Right now, if you're feeling uncomfortable, there's probably some conviction in your hearts. But God, it's because God's opened all these things up and He wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. But listen to me very carefully. You can do like so many people do week in and week out. You can ignore, because I told you at the very beginning of this, I said people fight to not be uncomfortable. They'll do anything to stay comfortable. So you have a choice today. You can either ignore this very uncomfortable feeling in your life right now called conviction. You can ignore it. And you can walk out of here in 20 minutes and life will go back to normal. But you'll have a harder heart 20 minutes from now than when you walked in here. Your heart will be even more calloused. That's why the Bible says, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. What's the opposite of hardening your heart? What is the opposite of hardening your heart? The opposite of that is responding to whatever God's asking you to do, whatever you, whatever you need to repent of, whatever God's asking you to do. Uh, I responded in my life. I laid my life out there for you. I, I did all this in a strategic way so that you could see my life. I've lived here, I've lived in this, and I repented, and I went all through this. Thing. And listen, when I repented, and I, God did all these radical changes in my life, that didn't make me perfect. That didn't make me perfect. I still make mistakes. I still sin. You know what I do? I still respond. I still repent. And you know what? I'm going to keep doing that because I'm still going to make mistakes. I'm still going to sin and I'm still going to repent. But I'm going to try to keep and stay. The very first opening statement that I said is I'm going to stay in an attitude of repentance. That's what it's about. It's not about being perfect. It's about staying in an attitude of repentance and not letting your heart harden. That's why the Bible says today, don't harden your heart. Many of you are sitting here, you can't wait till I'm finished because you've got a section of your heart that maybe is divided. It's that spiritual kryptonite, it's sin, and it weakens us. Because that section of your heart has not been given to the authority of God's Word. It's kind of our little areas, you know what I mean? This is my little area, this is my little escape, this is my little lifestyle right here. Nobody's, I'm not hurting nobody, it's my little escape, this is just for me. And in reality, you have not given that over to the authority of God's word, and you have not given God your whole heart. It is a heart divided, even if it's just a little sliver, you've not given it to God. Stand with me, let's pray in this place. Let's pray in this house.